if you're a subscription business, but you're expecting people are only going to hang around for six months. And that might be like, you know, a dating coach who knows eventually someone's going to get into a relationship and probably, you know, end their services. Then I would absolutely be having that pricing discussion around, okay, well, what's the actual amount of revenue that we want to get per customer? On average, how long do they stay? And you price it there. But I would suggest you could potentially look into this and say, well, how could you provide value on an ongoing basis so that there was no need for a customer to cancel? What would that value look like? What would be valuable to the customers on an ongoing basis? And this is like the number one question that we have to ask ourselves every week. How can we be valuable over a long period of time? I do what a lot of strategists do. And if you're a listener and you're a big strategic thinker, you're trying to solve the problems that don't exist yet. You know, you're solving one problem and you're foreseeing that that will probably or possibly create a new problem. And so you start trying to solve that problem. I am guilty as hell of doing that all the time. And there are many times that it served me well. And there are other times like now that it can create analysis paralysis and not take action. If you are a subscription business or you're thinking about starting a subscription business, go and read through those blogs. There is so much gold and value in the stuff about how to think through and find. One of the most important things is understanding the value metric in your subscription business model as well. Hello and welcome listener. If this is your first time joining us, you are listening to the Entrepreneurs Rising show. This show is all about helping you be a part of the rising tide that lifts all boats. We believe that entrepreneurship has a profound impact on society and has the ability to, as you rise, continue to lift others with you. And joining me in this amazing discussion is my co-host, Peter Moriarty. So, hey, Peter, how are you doing? I'm doing awesome, Carl. Thank you so much for being here with me, man. Always love doing these with you. Yeah. Look, I'm excited for today's episode. It's always great to share what we know and learn. And again, if you are a first time listener and you're like, what the hell is this show? Who are we? Go back and check out episode zero and maybe episode one to get a lot of more background of us and where we've come from. But today we're going to talk more about like when you've been in business for a while, things start to shift. The market seems to be shifting what do you do? How do you stay relevant? Do you even need to do anything? That's the conversation we want to explore today. And I'm going to throw this over to Pete to to kick us off because this is actually a really deeply personal situation for me and my business right now. So I'm going to let Pete kind of guide this conversation. So over to you, Pete. Yeah, I think to throw the cliche line, the only constant is change. And it's especially, especially so in business. I have been running my current business for 11 or 12 odd years now, and there have just always been changes, particularly in the technology industry. It feels like we need to reinvent ourselves every six months. Although now that we've you know, reached a stage of business maturity and a particular niche and a particular market segment that works for us, things have certainly matured out. However, that's not to say that there isn't change shifts and you know new updates that we need to adapt to. And I think you know, this is a skill that you can build. This is something that you can kind of work on as a, a muscle, the adaptation to change, managing change, but just in general, being in a position to continue to reinvent your business. Any business that stays stagnant runs the risk of being the taxi industry when Uber comes along. Mm-hmm. And one of the useful questions that I've asked myself over the years has been, how can we be the Uber of our own industry? 
or how could we Uber ourselves? Mm-hmm. How could, you know, someone, a competitor, a different service or someone different Uber us, you know, what would make us the laggards or the, uh, you know, all the old timers in the industry and then have a look at, even if it's radical, you know, what, why, why we need to do to, uh, to change. But in this episode, we're going to specifically focus on market shifts and, you know, shifting sands in customers or who we're serving and how we're serving them. And Carl, this is something that's timely to you at the moment. So I'm looking forward to expanding and pulling it out. I'm going to be asking you some questions and, and, you know, trying to get a bit of an idea of what's going on for you. So why don't you tell us a little bit about where you're at right now and what we're going to work through today? Yeah, look, so everything you've covered is really, really a lot of what I've been thinking about, right? Like, you know, how do we, the question that arises, I'll preface it before I'll get into some context in a second, but the question that has been on my mind a lot recently has been the question of, are we kind of Ubers? Are we innovating? Are we innovating where we need to, to ensure we stay relevant or are we just overcomplicating it? Do we not need to even go down that path, right? And this is the challenge. When you've been in business for a while, you've done things, they've worked for as long as they have. I can understand if you were Borders, you were Kodak, and you're like, oh, well, you know, the way we used to do it, it's always worked. Do we really need to shift and change? Um, but obviously, any business owner doesn't want to turn into, you know, the taxi industry or Borders or Kodak. So, Here's the context. We've been in business now for, I think, six years or so, doing what we do, serving mostly coaches, consultants, other digital marketers. And what we do at Automation Agency is we provide a team of designers, developers, and automation gurus to kind of set up your tech and maintain it. And the avatar that I set out to serve in the beginning was we kept our prices low on purpose. People were going and hiring virtual assistants. And they were struggling with their virtual assistants because they were letting people loose into Entreport accounts. Infusionsoft active campaign wasn't as big back then. And they were getting messy results because these virtual assistants had no idea what they were doing. Now, here we are six years on, virtual assistants, a lot of them have a lot of that experience now. It's not as new as it once was. We also found that over the years, our best clients, and we still have many of them still actually, um, but a lot of our best clients were really initially were aiming for people like me. People who um, were technical could do it themselves, but it wasn't the best use of their time to do this stuff themselves. So they were engaging us to help with the overflow, the little niggly things. And if they needed something done urgently, they would just deal with it themselves because our speeds weren't quite the same as a dedicated resource. And that's worked fine. And we still have some of those early clients, even you know six years on. What's shifted though over the last six years and in particular, I would say the last 12 months and maybe even shorter since COVID, I suspect that a lot of it's come from a big shift of COVID has meant people who weren't online, knew nothing about online are now seeking to get online. And what's happening is we're getting a lot more clients who have almost zero knowledge about digital marketing and online marketing. And they're seeing our service and going, this is amazing. And they sign up. And even when they go through all our processes, we have fit calls. We have people that you can speak to before you sign up to just check if you're a good fit. And we have people who talk to them. They say all the right things. They have their kickoff call when they first sign up and show them how to use the platform, how it all works. And we're just finding that we're getting more and more clients who are really needing a lot more handholding, yet they're going for our lowest price service, right? They're on our $250 a month 
plan, but they're actually needing more support than we currently even give our $1,200 a month clients. And so what's been coming up for us is going, okay, we're clearly attracting a huge amount of these clients, these types of clients that don't have the same knowledge and background. And we've also seen a trend over the years, not all, but there's been a number of the more technical who come to our service and they just find that they want a faster speed than what we can standard deliver. They just, because they could do it themselves in, you know, let's say they could do it themselves in a couple of hours, they want it to be done within the same day that they ask it to be done. And that's just not how we're set up to be able to deliver those kinds of speeds. And so they often it use us for a while. And then those people will leave and go and hire their own dedicated resource. Whereas the less technical people, they seem to stay with us a lot longer. Although we do have data, obviously from early clients that are still with us, many but part of that's because they are on a discounted grandfathered rate. So the big question that's constantly in our mind, and I can share what I'm doing about it. This is not necessarily like, give me an idea of what to do, but I'd love to explore it more. We, the kind of, the way I see it is we have a choice. We either going to go, okay, we embrace these new types of clients that we're getting and we continue to evolve, add more support layers, add more resources that are going to better support these people to be more equipped to work with our service, add new features to our service to better help the people who aren't aware that if you want to build a sales funnel, that's probably three or four tasks because in their mind, it's just one task. They're like, I want to build this thing. That's my task, please and creates frustration on the team's end and creates frustration on the client's end. And so that's some of the stuff we've been working through a lot. So Pete, I suppose I've given a bit more context. I'll throw to you to ask any questions you've got. Look, I think I'm curious, you know what, okay, what you've shared so far or what I'm hearing you've shared so far is that you've got a service that's worked really well for a particular set of customers, right? And you've now got customers that are coming in, which are kind of making it through your pre-qualification steps but for some reason there, you know, you're sensing that they're not really well aligned. My first curiosity is like, what's the lead source for these customers? Are they from a, you know, are you getting customers in from a different lead source or a different market than you would have previously? No, so it's existing. It's the same market. They're mostly coaches that we work with. Mm. I think what this is, is more a trend of what's happening in the coaching space in particular. We're getting a lot more people, especially since COVID, who didn't really need to worry about online much in their marketing. And now they're going out there and they're looking at learning about stuff. And they're not necessarily fully actively learned about sales funnels. They're now just kind of, they've worked with a coach. So a huge amount of our clients come from referrals, from existing clients, as well as some key authorities in the space. And so most of these people are still coming from referrals from existing clients who know how our service work. And the difference is, I think that a lot of the existing clients, they've wrapped their head around how things work. They understand the process and they they seem to think that the person they're referring can also wrap it, but that we're finding they just seem to be missing some of those key things. And we're working through it. We're creating a lot of resources. We've added all these things to help. And it just brings up that question of like, do we push these people away? And this is what's going to happen, I think, in any business, right? Do you start to go, okay, well, no, we're just not for these people. No, 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 no. Or do you pay attention to the fact that while I'm getting people knocking on my door, there is a huge need. These people need help. There's a clear problem here. Do we want to ensure we're solving it for those people? Or do we push them away and try to find only the people who are getting great results? And what is, this is where the biggest challenge for us has been, is what is the key, aside from them saying all the right things on the 
and being in the right industry of who we serve, what is the key things that we need to be looking for to know who we can help versus the people who are not getting the same great results as most of our clients do? What is the gap and how can we identify that early? Yeah, I think it's really interesting because inevitably, um, you know, industries will shift and things will change. And I'm reminded of, you know, a number of years ago, our primary business was migrating organizations from the Microsoft ecosystem over to the Google ecosystem. And we were doing a lot of that work because, you know, businesses were really disenfranchised with how Microsoft was working. It was all desktop based. Office 365 Exchange Online had not really, you know, gotten that good. Mm. Microsoft was way more expensive. Google was a whole heap cheaper. But over the few recent years, there's been a bit of price parity reached now. Google put their price up, so it's more in line with Microsoft. Microsoft have done a tremendous job over the last three years of improving their products, a lot more online services now. And so many you know, businesses that were entrenched in the Microsoft ecosystem now have less incentive to switch. The big incentive previously was like saving up to 70% on the total costs. That's just not possible anymore. And so our business had to then shift to more providing services and value to businesses who are more likely to already be using the Google workspace, it's now called ecosystem, rather than looking for the customers to migrate. Now, what does that mean? It means different sales numbers and you know different lines of revenue. It means gearing the team up differently. It means marketing differently. It means communicating differently. It means that we're going to have even different profit centers in the business because we're doing things differently and not suggesting that you would need to completely rewrite your product, but it's a curiosity to look at the scope of your product and say, okay, well, is the scope of this product currently serving this customer? As you said, a particular customer is coming in on a low-level plan and they're really needing stuff that's right now on the high-level plans. The catch-22 is they might not be in a position to afford that. Yeah. Uh, particularly if they're, you know, in an earlier stage business or if they're a, you know, a less savvy customer, I'm assuming perhaps they may be at an earlier stage in business. Hence, you know, literally why they're reaching out to help. And so there's, yeah, there's kind of like a curiosity there about is this a, is this a scope question of the product or is it a, you know, a right customer fit, right, right market fit type problem? And there's two ways of kind of approaching that. One way is do you shape the product around a customer? Or do you get really, 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 really clear on, you know, the product that you want to sell and then go and find the right customers for that product? And it's not to do any disservice to what we said in a previous episode that we recorded talking about the jobs to be done theory and, you know, making sure that what you're delivering is really, really valuable to actually solve a problem to a customer. That's absolutely intrinsically valuable. But I'd also kind of suggest checking in with yourself and asking, well, you know, which customer do I really, really, really want to serve? And is there a market to serve that customer as well? Is there actually a market to serve the customer that I really want to serve? Because you may find, Carl, that, you know, the products that you've designed are just not a fit for those that are coming along to them. Yeah, no, it's it's very, like everything you say, it's, it's a lot of what I've been going through and thinking about. And you know, there are different days and I'm like, yeah, maybe it's just these, you know, wrong clients. And, but I am of a belief, like when you put it that way, I am very much a big believer on when you've got a market coming to you. And this is what happens in early in business too, right? Like finding that product market fit is so important to get it right. And we nailed product market fit when we launched six odd years ago. And that just gave us explosive growth. And we continue to still have a really strong message in the market the difference is that the market that we're attracting is different, but it's not just the market we've attracted is different. The market has changed a lot too. 
six years ago, you had only had a few tools in the MarTech space, right? The marketing technology space, different CRMs. You kind of had a key things. Coaches only had a few tools to work with. Now, more and more SaaS products, software as a service products are being created just for coaches. More and more people are out there coaching and teaching people, you need this, you need to do this, build this. More and more people are coming into the coaching space. And because things have gotten easier in some ways, there's this feeling that things can be done faster. And one of the things that I do like about this that the audience that we have been gaining because they just cannot have the skills to do it themselves. They're so thrilled at the results that we can give them because it's far faster than they could ever do themselves. Whereas for the clients that can do it themselves, they love the fact that they don't need to do it. But if they need something done urgently, they know that they can't rely on us to do it. Like it's just the reality, even on our highest plans, if they need something done and they need it the same day, we just can't provide that level of building a funnel or anything like that. Uh, maybe a simple task, maybe, but if it's building a fund, a lot of a lot of stuff, a lot more projects, a lot more setups than we used to do. So I feel like it's been a maturing of our market that has really shifted a lot of what's going on. And then the maturing of the market has meant, as you say, there's a lot more different blood coming into that market of who we've been serving. And then there's now people that have got great results with us telling their clients and friends, hey, go and work with with automation agency. And then these people are like, oh, I want to get the same great results as my friend or as my coach or my expert. And they just, there's just some of these knowledge gaps we're finding. And it's kind of trying to give them that knowledge gap has been challenging. And we're working on a bunch of different projects. Like we're working on some things, you know, don't hold me to it if you're listening to this and you're a client of automation agency, but I can't give you timelines and some things we build, we never release. But we've been working on a project templates feature. So one of the things that we have and we've had for a long time now is what we call task wizards. A lot of the challenges we've had in the past where people were like, I want this thing done, but they didn't know what information we needed to get that done. So we created these task wizards. You want to send an email broadcast, you click on that. It asks all the key questions. It asks you, you know, what date and time do you want it sent next? And it asks you all these questions, gathers all the information and creates the task to send off to the team. And it's designed to do two things. It was designed to one, make your life as a client easier to just give us all the information you need. And two, it was also to then teach you when you saw the task description that gets created, teach you how you could send in other tasks that maybe there isn't a wizard for. What we're doing now is we've started building and working on building the same idea of a task wizard, but for projects. Because what we're finding is we're getting a lot more clients that just do not understand to the same degree that our earlier clients did the difference between a task and a project and understanding that if I want to build a funnel, I want to have an opt-in, a page where they can put in their name and email and that takes them to a thank you page, or I want to run a webinar, which, you know, there's registration for the webinar. There's a thank you page for the webinar. There's a bunch of different emails to get them to show up. There's emails, whether they attended or not. They, it's very easy for them to go, oh, that's what I want. My task is build me a webinar mm-hmm. setup. Whereas from our delivery point of view, there's design tasks to design the pages. There's then web or automation tasks to build the pages. And then there's the automation setups for all the email sequences and things you want to have happen. So there's at least three to four tasks involved in that project. So we've been building, working on this feature to build project wizards where a client would be able to go, hey, I want a webinar setup. And they can just kind of pick on that. It will then create all the tasks required, ask the questions, create the tasks, and then submit it in their account. So these are some of the things that we are working on to address specifically for these less these clients that don't quite have the same understanding. And there's just that little question in the back of my mind every now and then. It's not a strong question, but sometimes I'm like, 
do I even need to be doing this? Do I even need to be building a feature like that? Like I know it's valuable, but I think honestly, I think sometimes it comes, it's fear that comes up. It's fear that I'm going to break something that isn't broken, right? That's the story I might tell myself that, well, if I do this, if I make things easier as a subscription business, does that mean that clients will leave sooner? If we add all this value up front, and I know it's fear, I know it's crazy, but it's like if we add all this value up front, does that mean we need to now start thinking our pricing model needs to change? Because if someone can get all this stuff done in a couple of months, what's going to stop them from then just canceling? And they're going, they're really happy chappy, but we've we've given them, you know, ten thousand dollars worth of value in for like under a thousand dollars. And so then the mind starts to go, oh, well, then our pricing model changes, which then changes our sales process and changes all this. And that's where I think the the stress and the fear comes up from those stories that I tell myself there. So that's really insightful for me to realize that. So I think like what comes up for me is, you know, to really know what kind of business you'd like to have. If you're a subscription business, but you're expecting people are only going to hang around for six months. And that might be like, you know, a dating coach who knows eventually someone's going to get into a relationship and probably, you know, end their services, then I would absolutely be having that pricing discussion around, okay, well, what's the actual amount of revenue that we want to get per customer? On average, how long do they stay? And you price it there. But I would suggest you could potentially look into this and say, well, how could you provide value on an ongoing basis so that there was no need for a customer to cancel? What would that value look like? What would be valuable to the customers on an ongoing basis? And this is like the number one question that we have to ask ourselves every week. How can we be valuable? over a long period of time. How can we do, yeah, maybe a couple of things that keep us sticky. Stickiness is important, but you know, it always comes from a place of value. How can we have value that doesn't diminish over time to the point where a customer wants to you know, cancel the subscription? And I'm curious if you were to reflect from that angle, you know, if that may help to answer some of the, some of the questions that you have coming up around the product. Totally, man. Yeah, we, we've definitely, I'm always thinking about that. Like, what is that? Not from like, how do we create stickiness? Like we are obviously as a business owner, you always think about some of those things. How do you increase pain of disconnect? How do you create stickiness? But it's at the end of the day, any subscription business, it is about value. So the things that come to mind for me there are like, well, you know, when we have this whole library of projects, which the library is built, it's really just the project builder that's still in progress. The benefit there is potentially giving them more roadmaps, suggestions every month. Now it's time to build this one. Now it's time to build that one. We already did build and launched, I think a year ago now, we launched a feature called Recurring Tasks. And we've really been more heavily on our kickoff calls, trying to encourage clients to think about setting up recurring tasks, getting them to not think about, because a lot of clients come to us looking to set up. They're like, I want to build a funnel. That's what they want to set up. Whereas I think some of our earlier clients were a lot more like, I'm looking for a long-term thing. Whereas now we're getting a lot more clients like, I just need this project and, oh, I can get it done affordably through automation agency. That's what they're going like. This other guy is going to charge me 10 and do it and I can sign up for 250 bucks a month to you. And so they're, you know, they've got time on in a week too. <laughs> yeah. But they've got time on their hands. They're like, okay, well, cool. Like if it only, even if it takes a month, I'm okay with that. But the reality is they're not going to likely build a 10 grand project in a month for 250 or even two months. 
And so, especially when they don't even know what's involved. <laughs> so there's a bunch of things that are happening there, but we've been really trying to encourage people to think about, well, what are the recurring tasks we can be doing for you? The social media graphics we can be creating, the blog posts. Like we've got one client, I love how she's making use of the recurring task feature because you can schedule a recurring task or it can be like an on-demand. You click a button and it just comes up. The scheduled one for a blog post, she's using it that she submits a task to our team to post a blog on her website. And she uses that as her own accountability to make sure she's written a fresh blog post. So when the team reach out and say, hey, we need the blog post for this recurring scheduled task that just happens consistently in her account, nice. that's her commitment that she needs to get on and make, if she hasn't already, to write a blog post to send it to us to get it. I love that. So that there's some really cool initiatives that are coming from that. And that excites me. Like, I think, you know, really, we've also, we haven't gone 100% live, but we will in probably a couple of weeks, we're building out that recurring task suggestion library. So we launched the recurring tasks and now we've got a bit more data about how we ourselves, because I'm a client of my own service, use it, how other clients are using. Now we've seen some examples of recurring tasks. We're starting to build out these suggestions library where they can just click the one they want and it loads it into their account. They can tweak it as they want and then set it up to schedule. So I'm definitely thinking about that side of things. I like that. And I'm also still in problem solving mode and you know, one thing that came to me, I was curious, is how much surveying or user testing um, that you've done. Uh, you know, I've always found it really valuable to uh, send surveys and get feedback from customers, and particularly pay attention to the customers that have been long tenured. But also, there's an opportunity to survey the fresh customers who've just signed up and ask, well, why did you sign up? What was the reason you're signing up? And you can get that kind of data from you know, like what tasks type things that they're putting in. But I think understanding the motivation of like what problem did they come to solve? What is the thing to be done mm. and why are they then coming in? How do they find their way to you? You know, as a part of this investigation project, you may find that you put a six month minimum on subscription or the first six months is 500 a month instead of 250 a month. And you have a very different process with them. Yeah, we've thought about it. Or they come in and they come a part of the business and, and, you know, you charge a setup fee for a kickoff session where you go through and you map out a strategy, which goes, you know, to six months or to 12 months along that line. Something really interesting that I found when we did a, a cohort analysis of our customers and whether or not people stayed or not and who was staying the longest and what kind of things were they buying from us, what we found was that if customers stayed past 12 months, 90% of them, 90% were still there three, four years down the line. Amazing. So as long as we got them to the 12-month mark, we knew that they'd continue on with us. So what do we do? We switched our subscriptions to annual. Now, that didn't automatically didn't automatically have everyone stay on because some people just bought it to still get one thing done. But a lot of customers, because they had the subscription for the year and because we pitched and positioned the subscription for a year, it became a pitch about a partnership rather than a pitch about just get this one thing fixed. And from time to time, we have someone who comes along and we made the monthly month-to-month fees exorbitant so that if they just want to hang around for two or three months, well, we're getting half the revenue we would have got if they'd just paid for an annual plan anyway, which is a nice upsell for the sales team. Uh, But switching to that annual commitment allowed the customer to kind of expand their mind and think, okay, well, yes, I'm coming for this one initial project and that's why I'm signing up for this subscription service, but what else could I potentially do once that's done? And then that's our job to reach out with the relationship manager on our engaged team and actually, you know, check in with the customer when they're three or four months in and say, okay, cool, we've got the first project done. Now let's work on the next one. Or now let's give you access to some support. Or now let's help out with something else that we can uncover in the business. And then by the time 12 months rolls around, they're getting so much value, they're much more likely to, to stick around from there. 
Yeah, look, I love that. And, uh, you know, you're not the first in my circle of friends and advisors who have suggested, why don't you switch it to a 12-month program? I've thought about it myself a number of times or a six-month or some sort of like putting in a minimum commitment. We've only got one our agency plan for clients who are, you know, reselling our services and using us to scale their agency or marketing consultant companies. Uh, They have a three-month minimum commitment. I'm definitely very open to going to it. It's one of those things where it's like, because you've been doing it month to month for so long, I also tell myself the story that if we switch from being a $250 or $400 a month service to now it's like a six grand, five grand a year commitment that changes our sales process. You know, it means that I tell myself the story that most people will need a phone call to buy rather than just going to the website and signing up like they currently do. And so that's adds overheads that changes, changes dynamics. And it's like, like we talked about, I think in an earlier episode about how do you do little, little tests, right? Before you do the whole hog, how do we just do little tests of it? So I do actually have a plan coming forward. I'd love to share how it goes when it comes up, but I'm going to do a test. So if anyone's listening and you see me run a webinar, the plan is I'm going to run a webinar. And on the back of that webinar, I'm going to sell it as a 12 month program and see whether from a webinar, someone would buy what we already do, probably with a few extra bonuses for doing the annual commitment. But because it's not, we do get some annual people do sign up annually off the spot, but it's not, it's more upgrades. People usually come in monthly and then they upgrade to annual uh, is usually how it happens. So it's very much in my mindset of thinking about if we did see that. And I guess that's the solution to my own fear before. Of, well, what if we add all this value, we roll all this stuff into the product, and then that means that lifetime value gets less because we're delivering so much value up front and then they can cancel any time. Well, then it's like at that moment, it's like, well, clearly we know how much value we're now giving. We just charge more up front. So, yeah. you know, I think you've helped me answer the question of, it's add, let's add all the values, add the things we need to do to support these types of clients and, and really some of the issues that those types of clients are facing. It's going to add value to the other clients too. And then and then if it creates a problem, we address that with adding a pricing strategy. Like I do what a lot of strategists do. And if you're a listener and you're a big strategic thinker, you're, you're trying to solve the problems that don't exist yet. You know, you're solving one problem and you're foreseeing that that will probably or possibly create a new problem. And so you start trying to solve that problem. I am guilty as hell of doing that all the time. And there are many times that it served me well. And there are other times like now that it can create analysis paralysis and not take action because it's like, well, if I do that, then I'll have this other problem and that doesn't exist. I don't even know that to be true. That's really helpful. And also your mention of surveys, it's been a while. It's probably been over a year and a half since we last surveyed clients. So that's also something worthwhile investigating. I want to suggest to the listener, if you're interested to have a look at how we've priced things, you can head along to itgenius.com. We have a concierge service, very different to Carl's service, which focuses on marketing technology. We focus more on operations technology. And in our service, uh, you'll see the month-to-month pricing is about a 40% uplift to the annual pricing. And Carl will share, I think one of the key components of being able to sell the annual plans for us was deprioritizing the monthly option, you know, adjusting the price of the monthly option, knowing that the customers who came and went were not really the kind of customers that that we wanted. We wanted someone to build a mm. longer-term relationship with, but also having the opportunity for the customer to have a conversation with our team. So our sales team are called the Excite team, and they're the ones who will actually map out the plan with the customer. And so having that opportunity to really you know, paint the picture and show all the things we can do. And then, you know, it's a matter of saying to the customer, hey, look, you can pay for three or four months of month to month if you want, but here's all the things that we might be able to do for you over the next 12 months 
And a number of those are going to take some time for us to achieve. So why don't we put you on the annual plan and then you can always drop back to month to month or you don't have to re-sign up or whatnot. And, you know, I think when the price positioning is there, Mm. that's been advantageous for us. Mm. So that's certainly something that I put forward for your consideration. I really like Um, that. But I, I think, you know, we've both got good like mechanics mindsets, right? And you do as well. Like I think continuing to tweak and test is probably the most important element here. The fact that you're going to run a webinar to test things out, the concept we talked about in the last episode of testing things is called firing bullets and then cannonballs. You know, running one webinar is not a difficult task to do. Changing everything on the website and re-gearing the sales team and completely changing all of your sales processes on a hunch that annual might work may not work. Mm. And the challenges that you have with annual is, yes, you get the revenue now, but it's probably less revenue than you would get month to month because you have to end up discounting. And then you have lumpy revenue when you have a number of renewals in certain months and then you don't have renewals in other months. And so uh, you can have other other challenges that tend to pop up there. And there's a whole business of managing the renewals and making sure people don't just sign up for one year and then and then disappear when it rolls around. To reselling so, them, you know, right? certainly be an ongoing journey for us yeah. too. Reselling them at the next annual, you know, just before their renewals up, it's getting them excited, reminding them the value of your service so they're rebuying it. Yeah, so I definitely agree with that. I also thought since we've been talking about pricing for the listener, if you are a subscription business, one of the best resources I have ever, ever found on handling subscription pricing, including like great survey questions you could send to your audience to better understand what their willingness to pay, like the lowest price and the highest price. And I've done that to set automation agency pricing in the past. Priceintelligently.com. Patrick and the team from Price Intelligently. Patrick is a super nice dude. I've, I've, I've had beers with him in the past. Like it, He's just really knowledgeable. He knows his stuff. He's super connected in the SaaS, the software subscription world. And uh, he's got a great tool, ProfitWell, which is a free tool that you can connect if you use Stripe and a few other billing tools to get data. And there's no cost for it. It's an amazing tool. But whether you use his tool or not, if you hire a subscription business or you're thinking about starting a subscription business, go and read through those blogs. There is so much gold and value in the stuff about how to think through and find uh, one of the most important things is understanding the value metric in your subscription business model as well. So just thought I'd throw that in. I love it. I think to summarize this episode, you know, when, when a market is shifting or your customers are shifting, open your ears and listen. Um, you know, you may just be on the brink of a strategic decision to serve your market in a way that they've not yet been served before. I remember that when we were in the early days in still a managed service business, we used to charge $1,000 a month to look after businesses, infrastructure and computers. And, and that was just the way that things were going. And every now and again, I'd have a customer that would come to me that was already utilizing Google Workspace and they would need a little bit of support here and there, but they wouldn't need us to you know, do anything on their computers because they have all Macs and they were automatically updating and they didn't have any viruses and they didn't have any servers in the office because everything was just happening online. And I kind of realized that there was an opportunity to service those businesses, but not for $1,000 a month. And for our concierge service, which ends up being just above $100 a month, um, that's the service that we created. We And we transitioned all of our customers from $1,000 a month managed service plans to our newer plans. And uh, the customers were obviously very happy about that, even though the, the scope did change. We no longer went on site to their offices anymore, but that's then allowed us to tremendously grow and scale our business. And so, you know, listening to the potential opportunities of customers coming in that are a mismatch, I think is quite important. And then the only other thing is going back to the basics, like, you know, what is the problem that you're solving? 
What is the task? What is the job to be done? Hmm. And how can you ensure that the value that you're providing is going to be ideally value over time? Or if it's not over a long time, knowing you know what the return in, on your investment is going to be and knowing things like your contribution margins and how long, you know, how much it actually costs in human labor to deliver everything that you're delivering. We can potentially do another episode on the numbers that we yeah, track and how we manage things like labor efficiency. There's a whole world of tracking those kind of things. But Carl, I, I appreciate your vulnerability and you sharing open book exactly where you're at. Uh, to the listener, I hope this has been useful. Yeah, thanks guys. Thanks for tuning in. And I've got a lot of great value out of this. And I want to add something you mentioned there before we wrap this up. You know, you sharing your story has reminded me of the early days of automation. See, we started out as a project-based service, 10 to 12 to 15 grand projects was the average price. And then I pulled apart that business model and I went to a $200 at the time, $200 a month service. And I was I was shit scared when I'd made that shift and I didn't just make that shift overnight. I staggered it. And you know, that here we are, how many years later in a very different business, you know, doing over seven figures. Whereas back then it was, you know, feast and famine project work. So I, um, I'm reminded of that. I appreciate that reminder. And if you're, you've been listening on and hearing some of my challenges resonated with you, or just hearing that, you know, even when you're up to the stage of business 20 years on to understand that, yeah, today was me, but Pete goes through these things too. Um, it's just different types of problems. You never Literally escape. You never escape the problems. You never escape the questions. You never escape fully some of the doubts that the mind might offer you, and you've just got to work through it. So, yeah, I just appreciate everyone who's listening to tune in. So, thanks for that. Yeah, it's two good books that I can recommend if you're a services business and you'd like to transition into productized and recurring services, or you're interested in building a business similar to like what Carl and I have, they of course come with their challenges, but a lot of amazing upsides in the productized services business or any really recurring revenue subscription business is a great place to be right now. I would recommend the author John Warillo and uh, his first book called Built to Sell is really focused on productizing your services. So if you're a, you know, an agency doing bespoke work, great place to start. And then his second book called The Automatic Customer is all about recurring subscriptions and turning service businesses into recurring subscription businesses or potentially product businesses into recurring subscription businesses and all the different ways that you can go along that journey. Two profoundly powerful books. And I would add uh, a third book. A third book is uh, The Forever Transaction. I can't remember who the author is, but that's another great book that I've read uh, that's really given me some great insights around the idea of subscription. We will have all of those in the show notes and you can check out this recording as well as all of our other episodes at rising.show. If you feel so inclined, we would love it if you would leave us a review on your favorite podcasting app or service. Please give us an honest uh, indication of what you thought of the show. If you're interested in getting in touch, You can message us on our socials if you've got an idea for an upcoming show, something you'd like to know, or just a question or story that you'd like to share. We would love to hear from you. Always love hearing from those who are enjoying our shows. Carl, thanks so much for sharing. I appreciate it. Any last words that you'd like to finish up with? No, I appreciate your time. That's it. (laughs) Thank you so much. We'll catch you next time. Take care.